Chapter 19 of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 19 The Unlucky Talisman. There was a rapturous shriek of joy from Charlie as Constance opened the door for Marjorie and their hands and lips met in Christmas greeting. Marjorie stooped to embrace the excited little figure. "'Santa Claus did come to see Charlie, didn't he?' she exclaimed in pretend surprise. "'And what did he bring?' For answer the child limped to his Christmas corner. "'Oh, a fiddle,' he said reverently, clasping the little violin to his heart. "'Now I shall play in the band soon. Johnny said so.' He thrust the violin under his sharp little chin, the thin fingers of his left hand reaching across the fingerboard, his left wrist curving into position. "'Why, he holds it like a real violinist!' exclaimed Marjorie. "'Can he play?' Charlie answered her question by dragging his triumphant bow across the helpless strings, drawing forth a wailing discord of tortured sound. "'He thinks he can,' giggled Constance. "'I suppose those awful sounds are the sweetest music to his ears. "'Luckily we don't mind them. "'I hope you don't. "'I hate to stop him. "'He is so delighted with himself.' "'I don't mind in the least,' assured Marjorie. "'I wouldn't spoil his pleasure for anything in the world.' "'Charlie had no intention of giving a concert that morning, however.' He had too many other things to distract his mind. Marjorie sat on the floor beside the Christmas tree, her feet tucked under her, and listened with becoming gravity and attention while he told her about Santa Claus's visit, and one by one brought forth his precious presents for her to see. He must have had enough presents to go around this year, or he wouldn't have left me so many asserted the child with happy positiveness. Connie's going to write him a letter and say thank you for me. If I don't say thank you when someone gives me something, then I can never play in the band. Johnny and Father always say it. I'm sorry I didn't write to Santa Claus before Christmas and ask him for a new leg. I can't go fast on this one. It's been wearing out ever since I was a baby and it keeps on getting shorter. Santa Claus can't give you a new leg, Charlie boy, answered Marjorie, her bright face clouding momentarily. But perhaps some day we can find a good, kind man who will make this poor little leg over like a new one. When you find him, you'll be sure to tell him about me, won't you, Marjorie? he asked eagerly. As sure as anything, nodded Marjorie, brushing his heavy black hair out of his eyes and kissing him gently. "'Will you walk down to the drugstore with me, Marjorie?' put in Constance abruptly. Marjorie glanced up to meet her friend's troubled gaze. In an instant she was on her feet. "'It's a good thing I didn't take off my hat and coat. I'm ready to go, you see.' "'Charlie can watch for us at the window.' suggested Constance, hugging the child. We won't be long. 
Once outside the house there was an eloquent silence. It's dreadful, isn't it? There was a catch in Constance's voice when she finally spoke. Can't he be cured? queried Marjorie softly. Yes, so a specialist said, if only we had the money. He is such a quaint child, and he really and truly believes in Santa Claus, mused Marjorie aloud. Most children of his age don't. He's different, was the quick reply. He has been brought up away from other children and in a world of his own. He believes in fairies too, good ones and bad ones. But he loves music better than anything else in the world, and his highest ambition in life is to play in the band. If only I had the money to make him well. I'd love to see him strong and sturdy like other children. You mustn't talk about such sad things today, but just be happy, counselled Marjorie, slipping her arm through that of her friends. Charlie is cheerful and jolly, in spite of his poor lame leg. Perhaps the new year will bring you something glorious. You are so comforting, Marjorie, sighed Constance. I'll throw all my cares to the winds and keep sunny all day if I can. I must go now. They entered the little grey house again, just in time to hear remonstrative squeaks from the E-string of the diminutive violin, blended with disheartened moans from the A and growls of protest from the G-string. "'How did you like that?' inquired Charlie calmly. "'It was very noisy,' criticised Constance. "'It was a very hard passage to play.' "'explained the embryo musician soberly. "'It seems to have been,' laughed Marjorie. "'That is what Johnny says when he doesn't pay attention "'and makes a mistake on the fiddle,' confided Charlie. "'Constance's sad look vanished at this naive assertion. "'He imitates Father and Uncle John in everything,' she explained. He will have played his way through all the music in the house before tomorrow night. Most of it upside down, too. I'd love to stay longer, but I promised to stop at Macy's, and we have our dinner at one o'clock. I wish you could come, too, but I know you would rather be at home. Thank you again for the hem-stitched handkerchiefs. I don't see how you found the time to make them. "'Thank you for the lovely hand-embroidered blouse and all Charlie's things,' reminded Constance. "'I hope we'll spend many, many more Christmases together.' "'So do I,' echoed Marjorie, as she kissed Charlie and held out her hand to her friend. Her call on the maces lasted the better part of an hour, for Jerry was the recipient of a host of gifts, and insisted upon displaying them while Hal refused to pose gracefully in the background and absorbed as much of Marjorie's attention as she would give him, secretly wondering if she would be pleased with the box of American Beauty roses he had ordered the florist to deliver at the dean's residence at noon that day. What a blissful Christmas it was! From the moment of Marjorie's awakening that morning until the day was done, it was one long succession of joyous surprises. And, oh, glorious thought, 
there were ten blessed days of vacation stretching before her. I'll see if Constance will go to the matinee Saturday. She planned drowsily that night as she prepared for sleep. We will take Charlie. I promised him long ago that I would. I'll run over there tomorrow. Too bad I didn't think of it today. But tomorrow brought its own deeds to be done, and so did the following two days, and it was Friday afternoon before Marjorie found time for her visit to the little grey house. Ever since Christmas it had snowed at intervals, and the snowplough men had been kept busy clearing the streets. It was just the kind of weather to wear one's fur coat, and Marjorie gave a little shiver of delight as she slipped into her Christmas treasure. And how warm it was! The searching east wind that was abroad that day held no discomfort for her. As she stepped briskly along over the hard-packed walk hedged in by high-piled snow, she thought rather soberly of her own good fortune and wondered why so many beautiful things had been given to her, while to Constance life had grudged all but the barest necessities. With a rush of generous impulse, she resolved to do all in her power to smooth the troubled way of her friend. When within sight of the house, Marjorie's eyes were fastened upon the living-room windows for some sign of Charlie, who would sit contentedly at one of them by the hour watching the passer-by. Catching sight of his pale little face pressed to the window-pane, she waved her hand gaily to him. He disappeared from the window, and an instant later stood in the open door, shouting gleefully, "'Oh, Connie, here's Marjorie, here's Marjorie!' Marjorie bent down and embraced the gleeful little boy. "'How is Charlie today?' she asked. "'Pretty well,' nodded the child. "'I wish I had asked for that leg, though. Mine hurts today.' "'You poor baby,' consoled Marjorie tenderly. "'But where is Connie, dear?' "'She's upstairs. I'll call her.' He limped across the room to the stair door, which was situated at one side of the living room, and opened it. "'Connie,' he called, "'Marjorie's come to see us.' There was a sound of quick footsteps on the stairs, and Constance appeared. "'I didn't know you were here,' she apologised. "'Where were you on Thursday?' began Marjorie laughingly. "'You promised to come over. Don't you remember?' "'Yes,' returned Constance briefly. Then, with a swift return of the old chilling reserve, which of late she had seemed to lose, it was impossible for me to come. Marjorie scrutinised her friend's face. The look of impassivity had come back to it. "'What is the matter, Constance?' she questioned anxiously. "'Has anything happened?' An expression of intense pain leaped into Constance's blue eyes. I've something to tell you, Marjorie. It's dreadful. I... With a muffled sob, she threw herself face down upon the old velvet couch, her slender shoulders shaking with passionate grief. Why, Constance? Marjorie regarded the sobbing girl in sympathetic amazement. 
Charlie went over to the couch and patted Constance's fair head. Don't cry, Connie, he pleaded. Then, limping to a dilapidated writing desk in the corner, which Marjorie never remembered to have seen open before, he took from one of the lower pigeonholes a small glittering object. This is what makes Connie cry. He opened his hand and disclosed a little object on his outstretched palm. Shall I throw the old thing into the fire, Connie? With a sharp ejaculation of dismay, Constance sprang from the couch. One swift glance toward the desk, then she caught Charlie's tiny hand in hers. Give it to Connie this minute, she commanded sternly. For the instant Marjorie was forgotten. Charlie's lips quivered with grieved surprise. Relinquishing his hold on the object, he wailed resentfully. It is a horrid old thing. It made you cry, and me too. Charlie, dear, soothed Constance. Then she glanced up to meet the horrified stare of two accusing brown eyes. Why, Marjorie, she exclaimed. Where? Where did you get that pin? Marjorie's soft voice sounded harsh and unnatural. That's what I started to tell you, faltered Constance. Oh, it's so dreadful I can't bear to speak of it. Yet I must tell you. I... the pin... She broke down and, throwing herself on the lounge again, began to cry disconsolately. An appalling silence fell upon the shabby, music-littered room, broken only by Constance's sobs. Marjorie stood rooted to the spot. Could it be true that Constance, the girl she had fought for, the girl for whose sake she had braved class ostracism, had deliberately stolen her pin? Yet she must believe the evidence of her own eyes, which had told her that in Charlie's hand lay her cherished pin, her lost, much mourned-for butterfly. If Constance had deliberately taken the pin, then she was a thief. If she had found it, but purposely failed to return it, she was still a thief. Marjorie opened her lips to pour forth a torrent of reproaches, but the words would not come. She had a wild desire to pry open the hand which held her precious butterfly and seize it. But her hands remained limply at her sides. It was her pin, her very own, yet she could not touch it unless Constance chose to hand it to her. But Constance made no such proffer. Still clutching the precious butterfly, she continued to weep unrestrainedly. Marjorie waited patiently. Having failed hopelessly as a comforter, Charlie had hobbled to his corner, where his Christmas tree still stood, and, with that blessed forgetfulness of sorrow which childhood alone knows, had dragged forth his violin and begun a dismal screeching and scraping, a nerve-wracking obligato to his foster-sister's sobs. Five endless minutes passed, but Constance made no sign. I'm... I'm going now, choked Marjorie. Hot tears lay thick on her eyelashes. She stumbled blindly toward the door, 
her face averted from the girl who had so misused and abused her friendship. Goodbye, Constance. Something in the reproachful ring of that goodbye startled Constance out of her grief. She had been too greatly overcome with her own trouble to note the effect of her tears and broken words upon Marjorie. Surely Marjorie was not angry with her for crying. Wait a minute, Marjorie, she called. Please don't be angry. I won't cry any more. I want to tell you about the pin. It was... But only the sound of a closing door answered her. Marjorie was gone. End of chapter 19 Recording by Ashley Jane